listening to the Touch Em Up podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have UFC Vegas 61, Jan versus Dern, preview, predictions, and analysis. In the main event of the evening, it's a battle in the women's straw weight division between top 10 ranked contenders. You have the number five ranked multiple-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion and grappling ace in Mackenzie Dern coming into the fight with a record of 12 victories and two defeats. Going up against the number six ranked sharp striker and technician when it comes to fighting on the feet in Jan Fury Jaunan, who comes back with a record of 15 victories and three losses. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? First off, let's start off with last week, UFC Vegas 60. Some of the reads on the picks were pretty good. We had uh, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez by submission. You know, we had Song Yadong in the main event. It was a close fight, but I definitely feel that Corey Sandhagen was taking advantage and probably would have won on the judges' scorecards if it went to the fifth. I know that some of the judges had it scored 2-2. Two to two. I could see that. I don't think that that's a bad score anyway. I don't think that that's like a completely out-of-this-world scorecard to have for that fight, but a very technical matchup. But Corey just had more weapons, and we talked about that going into the fight. Uh, the speed did cause trouble for Corey, but... I was actually surprised with how good the grappling was of Song Yidong. And, you know, he did very well in the fight, but got cut over the eyebrow and, you know, got demolished in terms of just like the damage overall. In terms of visual damage, you know, the cut is what stopped the fight. The elbows, the up elbows, stepping into range with the elbows from Sanhagen after using the long range ones and twos at a distance was really what caused Song Yidong to lose that fight. It was variety over simplicity. I would say is the best way to describe that main event. We had some good picks. Like, you know, I had Bill Elgio and Andre Feely go in the distance. I had Elgio. I honestly don't think that it would have been a bad decision to give Elgio that fight. It was a close fight, but you have to understand, like, I know that Andre Feely had the body lock for the majority of that entire third round. And, you know, if you can out position your opponent, then that's fine. But he was doing a ton of damage to Andre Feely from being stuck in that body lock. I know that it looks like Feely had the better position, which he did in terms of grappling terms. He had the better position, but being able to land those, you know, punches to Andre Feely and never stopping, you know, hitting him, hitting him, hitting him, hitting him. He's doing more damage. I don't care if it's not huge, hugely effective striking. I feel like Elgio should have won that third round. And I think it was two to one for Elgio, but I'm not mad that they gave it to Feely. Like I'm not... I'm not pissed. You know, I had uh, Bill Elgio in a couple parlays and he kind of got me. And then the worst pick, which was my pick of the week, was Pat Sabatini over Damon Jackson, man. I think everybody got caught slipping there and got caught sleeping on Damon Jackson. I mean, catches Pat Sabatini with a front kick, basically knocks him out on his feet, takes him down, gets into the top position like butter and ground and pounds him into the mat in like the first 45 seconds to a minute of the fight. That is the complete opposite of what I expected to happen and the complete opposite of what I think a lot of people expected to happen in that fight. I think that they thought that the fight was going to be close. There was going to be some good scrambles, but it was going to take place. The majority of it was going to take place on the mat with a lot of wrestling, a lot of grappling transitions, changing from position to position, going for submission attempts. And that's not what happened. And Damon Jackson really showed out in a fight that was very important to him after the passing of his brother. So, you know, shout out to Damon Jackson. He proved me wrong and he proved everybody else wrong because I didn't see a lot of people picking Damon Jackson in that fight. 
And, you know, I mean, I had Chidi Njikawani over Gregory Rodriguez. It looked like he was going to get it done early. He timed that takedown attempt with that knee up the middle and, uh, you know, hurt him really bad, stumbled him, wobbled him. He was wobbling all over the place. But Chitty just blew his wad. He he overcommitted. He overextended. And, you know, he overexerted himself. And then Gregory Rodriguez was able to survive, come back, and finish Chitty Njikawani in the second round. That was a crazy fight. A war, definitely your fight of the night in my opinion, but man, there was just a lot of underdogs on that card that came through for a lot of people, and you know, the Pat Sabatini one was kind of the nail in the coffin for me, and then I had Chidi Njikawani over Gregory Rodriguez, so those two picks in terms of overall predictions really did it in for me. If I would have paired up some picks a little bit different in terms of the parlays, feel like I could have made some decent money, definitely. But, you know, sometimes you get overconfident and you feel like, you know, you're on a little bit of a streak. Maybe you have to overextend on your betting options and you have to overcommit and you get that sense of overconfidence. And You can't ever get overconfident when it comes to mixed martial arts. And I think that this card kind of snapped me back into reality a little bit and made me realize that maybe you only have to go with two or three solid picks in terms of like, money line predictions for the card and then the rest you can play the fight props I think it's a lot better to play props and not have to pick a winner it's a little bit more stressful especially if you're playing the over-unders when it comes to the rounds but you know that is what it is and MMA is a stressful game and I feel like I am one of the best predictors and best analysts in terms of mixed martial arts technique and competition and fight breakdowns and I intend to prove that again going into this week so we're going to start it off with obviously UFC Vegas 61, Dern versus Jan, you know, Marina Rodriguez, Jan Jaunan in the main event, a great strawweight main event. I know people like to get on everybody and be like, oh, it's a women's main event. Don't even tune in for the card, you know, this and that and a bunch of yada yada bullshit. But this is a great fight between two high level mixed martial artists in their respective positions of power. I mean, you have Marina or not Marina Rodriguez. I'm sorry. You have Mackenzie Dern, who, like I said, multiple time Brazilian Jiu Jitsu world champion, definitely the best women's grappler in terms of mixed martial arts. In my opinion, she's definitely probably one of the best women grapplers in, and grapplers in general on the planet, not just women in terms of men too. She's one of the best grapplers in the world. And if she gets Yan Jaunan to the floor, I mean, it could be over extremely quickly. Like it could be over before you even know it. But in, in, you know, that same regard, if Xiaonan is able to keep it on the feet, keep it at a range and land those straight punches, the one twos, the two threes, I mean, a three isn't a straight punch, but you know, throwing it with not a lot of windup. If she's able to land those straight punches over the looping striking of Mackenzie Dern as Mackenzie tries to close the distance, I could see Xiaonan just as easily picking her apart for five rounds, but we're going to get to that main event when we get there. I will have some betting looks for you when we get to the fight, you know, at the end of this this podcast episode, I feel like I'm talking a little too fast, but I'm trying to get this out and not make it too long. So we're going to start off in the prelims in the middleweight division in a battle between Christoph Jotko, who comes into the fight with a record of 24 victories and five defeats, going up against Brendan Allen Allen, who comes back with a record of 19 victories and five losses. We're going to pull up the odds for UFC Vegas 61. We can go to... Uh, here, we'll just go UFC odds because we don't have to go on DraftKings. I know that that's what a lot of people like to do, but 
We're going to go to best fight odds because they have the most accurate lines for the fights. And we're going to go to uh, Invicta, one championship, Brave, LFA. You Here we go. Uh, UFC Vegas 57. That is not the correct number, but uh, we'll go with it anyway. They just have it marked wrong on here. But if you look at the fight between uh, Brendan Allen and Christoph Jocko, Jocko is actually marked at a minus 115 to a minus 105 for Brendan Allen. Uh, basically a pick em. Some places have Allen as a plus 100, plus 105 underdog to a minus 110, minus 115 for Jocko. So it's basically a pick em. When I look into breaking, when I look into this fight and break it down stylistically, I think that the best way to break this fight down is to just look at the stylistic matchups between the two and Jocko's a very effective southpaw. He's very good with that check right hook, the straight left, the overhand left into the right hook as the opponent is circling away from the power. He's very technical and tactical. He likes to touch you up for the entirety of the 15 minutes. Now, he has knockout power. We've seen Jocko get a few knockouts in his career. He's 24-5 and five overall as a professional MMA fighter. And when it comes to breaking down his wins, he has six by knockout one by submission and 17 decisions. So 17 decisions out of 24 wins. Jocko is that sharpshooter style of striker, but he likes to pick you apart and keep you at a distance, keep you at range, and really just poke and prod for the entirety of the fight. If Jocko can keep you behind that southpaw jab, the check right hook, the straight left hand, the left kick to the body, the inside and outside low kicks, and stay at his range, he's going to do it for the entirety of the fight and probably try to mix in some takedowns at the end of rounds to really seal it on the judges' scorecards. When you look at Brendan Allen Allen, Allen is more uh, decorated in terms of the grappling. He's got really good striking too. I think if you go back and look at the Punahele Soriano fight, that was a fight where a lot of people believed that Brendan Allen was going to get knocked out. I know I was one of them. Punahele Soriano was my lock of the week for that card over Brendan Allen. And Allen looked amazing. He was able to get that outside foot on the southpaw of, you know, Punahele Soriano, get that lead left foot on the outside of the lead right foot and land that right kick to the body, land the knees to the body as Punahele tried to close the distance, jab, left hook, right body kick, one, two, right body kick, cross into the right body kick. He was constantly attacking body inside and outside low kicks and then working his way up with the hands as well. But the kicking game of Brendan Allen is really what won him the fight against Punahele because Punahele wasn't able to close the distance, and in turn, that southpaw versus orthodox, that back kick to the body is always going to be open for both fighters, but it's usually more effective for the orthodox fighter against the southpaw. However, the southpaw kick is more damaging because it's going to land on the liver of the orthodox fighter because it's going to that side, but it's usually a lot more effective for the orthodox fighter to land the front kicks and the round kicks to the body when they're going up against the southpaw. And I think we're going to see that more here against Brendan Allen as well. I think we're going to see Brendan Allen looking to get that outside foot on Jocko, cut him off, left hook, right body kick, front kick, um, teeps to the body, double jab, left hook, right hand, right hand, left hook. He seems like he's coming into his own in terms of his striking, does Brendan Allen, but the only thing is his defense is not that great. He looks decent in terms of his technical abilities when he's throwing the shots, but when the shots are coming back at him, he doesn't look as good, and it's a little bit, he kind of gets a little bit flustered when heavy shots are coming at him. I mean, you saw it against the debuting Chris Curtis, which we've seen how good Chris Curtis has looked recently, except for that fight against Jack Hermanson, but 
um, you know, he got caught against a better striker who was able to set him up and expose those defensive irresponsibilities. And you look at the fight against Sam Elvey, which Brendan Allen did take on short notice, but Elvey is not a good striker. He's just kind of a brawler. He throws his overhands, he throws his hooks in his overhands, and that's really it. He looks to time you stepping in. And even though Brendan Allen did get the win there, he did drop LV a few times and then eventually lock up that rear naked choke without getting the hooks in. He was still there to get hit a lot. He kept walking into range, getting hit with the left hook, the right hook, the right hook, straight left, the overhands. He was getting clocked by Sam LV. And Sam LV hasn't won a fight in the UFC. I think he's like 0-6 or 0-7 in his last few fights in the UFC before he got cut. And... I think if you're getting caught by a, a guy the caliber of a Sam Elvey, who is a veteran, who has fought multiple times in the organization, um, if you're getting caught by a guy like Sam Elvey, you're going to get caught by Jotko stepping into range. And I think Jotko's game is really going to play favors for him here against Brendan Allen. We're going to see him get that outside foot. We're going to see him look to land the overhand left and then sweep back into the right hook as Allen circles away. We're going to see him use the jab, use the right body kick, or I'm sorry, the left body kick. We're going to see those teeps to the body. And we're going to see Jocko just kind of pick apart Brendan Allen at a distance. And if Brendan Allen does close the range and get those takedowns, I do think that Brendan Allen is the better jujitsu fighter when it comes to the mat. But I think that Jotko is good enough defensively to stop those takedowns. I think that Gerald Mearshart is a more technical Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist and a lot more dangerous on the mat. And even when he did get those takedowns against Jocko, which were very... Uh, Few and far in between. I think that if you're able to survive that and get your way back up to your feet and even control some of the top position against a guy in Gerald Mearshart who's very dangerous from the bottom or the top position, I don't think Brendan Allen's going to give him much much trouble. Now, I do think Brendan Allen is a better striker than Gerald Mearshart, but overall, I think that the range and distance control of Jocko, along with that touch-him-up style, just kind of poking and prodding for 15 minutes, jab, right hook, overhand, left, jab, right hook, straight left hand, straight left hand, left body kick, left inside low kick, right hook, overhand, left as you circle away, double jab, right hook, straight left, jab, right hook, overhand, left, jab, jab, right hook, circle off. I think that outside foot game and the poke and prod style of Christoph Jaco is going to carry him to a pretty dominant decision. I think that Brendan Allen might get one or two takedowns, but we've seen the takedown defense of Jotko. He's able to use that wizard rib very effectively, and he's able to work his way back up to the feet if he does get taken down. I would be a little worried if I was Jotko and Brendan Allen is able to work his grappling from the top position because Allen is a very, very smart, technical, and cerebral mixed martial artist when it comes to the grappling side. But I expect the distance and range of Jotko, the jabs, the right hooks, the straight left hand, the straight left into the right hook, the combinations we've already ex you know explained to really just pick apart Brendan Allen and expose the defensive flaws and the defensive irresponsibilities and have Christoph Jotko cruise to a very a pretty dominant one-sided decision. I'm gonna go with Christoph Jotko to defeat Brendan Allen Allen via 29-28 unanimous decision. I think Allen might get some grappling off in the first round or so and eventually take him down and work from the top position and maybe steal a round in there. I can't go with clean sweep for Jocko, but I could see him getting three rounds to zero. But I'm going to go with a decision. I don't think that Jocko is going to be able to finish off Allen. And I'm going to go with a 29-28 unanimous decision for the more technical and tactical Christoph Jocko over Brendan Allen. All right, and the next fight up on the card is a battle in the lightweight division between the returning Mike Beast Boy Davis, who comes into this fight with a record of nine victories and two defeats, going up against the Team Alpha Male standout 
and tremendous boxer in Vyacheslav Slava Claus Borschev, who comes into the fight with a record of six victories and two defeats. This is a great fight, too. Like, I, I'm really excited for this one. In particular, I think that Davis and Borchev could easily fight for your fight of the night. Um, Mike Davis has been gone for a long time. He hasn't fought since 2020 in terms of his UFC career. He's 9-2, 7 wins by knockout, 1 submission, and 1 decision. His only losses coming by submission and decision never been knocked out before. His last fight came in January 20th, 2021. So it's over two years or over a year, almost two years since we've seen Mike Davis inside the cage. The UFC on ESPN 20, Kiesa versus Magny. Mike Davis actually won the Tiger Muay Thai tryouts. I believe it was in 2019. Let me check that out for you because I want to make sure um, that that's correct. Tiger Muay Thai. Yeah, 2019 Tiger Muay Thai tryouts. Now, if you go on YouTube and look that up, which is anybody who's a casual or hardcore fan of MMA, if you want to go and watch some crazy, crazy, you know, grueling MMA training and Muay Thai training, go check out the Tiger Muay Thai tryouts. Now, on my podcast, I've actually interviewed two coaches from Tiger Muay Thai and the Hickman brothers, George and Frank Hickman. If you haven't checked those interviews out, I would definitely recommend that you go back and look at those interviews because the recent fighter who just fought in Loma Lukbunmi, who just got that victory at the last fight night, she is George Hickman's, or I'm sorry, Frank Hickman's, was it George or, no, 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 I was right, I was right originally, man, I can't even think, she is George Hickman's like pride and joy, that's like his pupil is Loma Lukbunmi, and if you look at the way that she fights, she's very, very solid in the way that she throws her Muay Thai techniques. She's got good teep kicks, good round kicks, mixes up her combos well, good at striking off the break and everything like that. Go back and listen to my interview with George and Frank Hickman. They were done pretty close in proximity to each other in last year, I believe. I believe it was at the end of 2021 when I got those interviews done. If not, it was early 2022. And I'll probably post them up on my social media if you haven't gotten the chance to check those out. But Mike Beast Boy Davis... I believe he was a former amateur boxer and, you know, used to train out at the, uh, with custom auto and work on his boxing, which, you know, if you know boxing, you know who custom auto is, but he's a very solid striker. And he went into the tiger Muay Thai tryouts kind of as an unknown and came out as a winner and got that free training for a year at tiger Muay Thai. And man, you know, you watch his fight against Mason Jones, which is the last fight he competed or the last fight he had in his MMA career. That was a back-and-forth brawl, man. I mean, they went to war with each other. But the thing I noticed that was so good about Mike Davis and so effective is his left hook to the body followed up by the straight right hand. He's very, very solid at dipping off with that three to the body and then coming in with either a straight right or an overhand right. And that combination was landing for him a lot. And then he would switch it up and go lead uppercut, which is a five, to the cross behind it. So it was left hook to the body right hand lead uppercut right hand. He's very good at timing that and then eventually pairing that up with a question mark kick. He can go one, two, question mark kick off the rear leg, cross lead, question mark kick off the off the lead leg. You know, Davis is a dangerous striker. He's very fast. He has decent defense, but I think if you play around for too long against Vyacheslav Borschev on the feet with his technical boxing, I think it could cause Mike Davis some problems because we see that a lot of the times it's not a traditional high guard from Mike Davis. It's a lot of head movement. He's trying to slip, roll, 
pull back and come back on the counter. You know, and he's very effective at it, and he's got very good eyes for a mixed martial artist. He sees everything that comes at him and then times his counters off of the way that he throws. I mean, you see him go one, two, step into southpaw, lead or a rear left knee, go back to orthodox, jab left hook, right low kick, jab right body kick. I mean, he mixes up his combos, and he's got power in every strike that he throws, which explains why he's got seven wins out of the nine coming by way of KO. But Vyacheslav Borschev, I would definitely say that he is the more technical boxer. I think Davis has a speed advantage, but I think when it comes to the overall striking technique, I think that Borschev is a little bit more effective when it comes to the sharpness in his in his hands. He's got six wins, two losses. Five of those six wins come by way of KO. Recently, he got that knockout victory with that left body shot, or I believe it was a right body shot, up against the cage against Dakota Bush. Before that, he had a knockout victory on the Contender Series over Chris Duncan. And then in his most recent fight in the UFC, he lost a decision to Mark Jacasey. And in that fight, along with the Dakota Bush fight, you notice that for as effective as Vyacheslav Borschev is on the feet with his boxing, with his lateral movement, with his ability to move left and right and set up his combinations, either moving forward or moving backwards with the check left hook, like he caught the guy on the Contender Series with, he has very, very suspect takedown defense. And I think that Mike Davis is going to want to fight this on the feet, but he's a very intelligent fighter. Even though I've only seen him fight a few times, he's a very intelligent guy. And I think that his wrestling and takedowns in the midst of a firefight is what can carry him to get a win here against Borschev because Borschev's takedown defense is not good at all. I mean, if you look at his stats on the takedown defense, I'm going to see if I can pull it up. Let's see. Here we go. UFC stats. He's got a takedown defense of 37%. 37% takedown defense against Mike Davis, who we saw was able to take down Mason Jones, who's a very good grappler, good offensive and defensive wrestling, good offensive and defensive jujitsu. I mean, even if you're able to get those takedowns against Mason Jones, I think that that's going to be a lot easier to get those takedowns against Borschev. Now, Borschev could have been working on his takedowns after that March to Casey fight. I expect that he was working on his takedowns a lot or takedown defense. But the thing is, he gets taken down very easily. Even in the fight against Dakota Bush that ended at 3 minutes and 47 seconds of the first round, he got taken down twice in, in that first round. And they were very easy takedowns for Dakota Bush to get. And I think with the forward pressure of a Vyacheslav Borschev or backing up, I think in the midst of those striking combinations with the speed that Davis employs, he can mix up the striking and the grappling and start to get those takedowns early and often. And I think we could see a similar fight to the Mark Jacasey fight where he uses that wrestling, uses that top control, and seriously outworks Borschev when it comes to the grappling. I think that, like I said, Borschev is the better boxer. So Mike Davis has to be careful defensively because I think it is possible that he gets into an exchange and runs into a left hook runs into the right hand, runs into the left kick of Borschev and gets hurt. I think that there is a possibility that Borschev can get a knockout here, especially if Davis is rushing forward because he does have decent defense, but we've seen him get caught in the midst of exchanges. And you know, it's not the first or second shot that catches Mike Davis. It's the third, fourth, fifth, or sixth shot in a combination that catches him as he's trying to move his head and get the timing. Um, I think that could be a problem, but I also think Davis is so solid with mixing up the hands, the knees, the elbows, the kicks, you know, question mark kicks, knees, one twos, the left hook to the body, the right hand. 
and his footwork and movement is so effective that I think that it's going to be very hard for Borschev to find that distance and find that range and catch Mike Davis on the chin. And I think the grappling, the ineffective grappling and the suspect takedown defense of Borschev is going to be a big, big problem for him here against Davis because I know Davis can mix up the striking and the grappling pretty effectively and maybe get those takedowns at points where Borshev isn't expecting them. So they come a lot easier, even though his takedown defense is only at a 37%. Um, I think that Davis can mix it up and really get those takedowns early and often to seal a decision on the judges scorecards. I don't think either of these guys are going to get knocked out, but if they stand and strike and there is no wrestling between the two, I think that either of them could get caught, but I expect it to be a full mixed martial arts style of fight. And I expect Mike Davis to fight like a true mixed martial artist, get those takedowns, you know, use though that speed with that left hook to the body, right hand, the one, two, the question mark kicks. I think we're going to see a lot of front kicks to the body from Mike beast boy Davis but that wrestling and grappling is what's going to seal him those rounds in a close fight on the feet. But I do edge Mike Davis out on the feet as well because he uses more weapons with the elbows, the question mark kicks, the front kicks, the inside and outside low kicks. I think he just has more weapons and he's definitely a more effective grappler. So I'm going to go with Mike Beast Boy Davis to defeat Vyacheslav Slavoklaus Borschev via a 29-28 unanimous decision. I think it'll be a close fight, but I think it'll be pretty clear cut that Mike Davis gets the win here. You know, first fight back in almost two years, but I think he's going to show out here. And I'm very excited for the future when it comes to uh, Mike Davis. I, I think that he's definitely going to be a guy to look out for in terms of his mixed martial arts career and his career inside the UFC. You look at the odds, you have Mike Davis as a slight minus 170 to a plus 145 for Borschev. Some places have Mike Davis as a minus 200 to a plus 155 for Vyacheslav Borschev. I think the favorite here in Mike Davis is a definite parlay piece for the week. I think that um, in terms of making parlays for this week overall, I think that Davis is definitely a lock in terms of your parlays. He's a good money line bet. I think it also is a good bet to wait for the line to come out and see what fight goes the distance is marked at because maybe you feel like Borschev's power can be a problem for Davis on the feet in terms of his boxing and he can catch him coming in. Then maybe you want to take fight goes the distance. I know both these guys are finishers, but I think they're both well-rounded enough to the point where it's probably going to go the 15-minute distance. So my overall pick is Mike Beast Boy Davis as the slight minus 170 to minus 190 favorite to defeat Vyacheslav Borschev via a 29-28 unanimous decision. He's currently marked at minus 175 on Caesar Sportsbook, but I am going to side with Beast Boy here over Vyacheslav in a 15-minute fight. Now we're going to move to the main card in the first bout in the bantamweight division between technical striker and I would say very highly touted prospect in the UFC in Hione Barcelos, who comes into the fight with a record of 16 victories and three defeats, going up against Trevin Five Star Jones, who comes back with a record of 13 victories, eight defeats, and one no contest. Now when it comes to breaking down the matchup here, I think that we know the type of fight we're going to get from a Hione Barcelos. Barcelos is not high on ter in terms of the volume. Like, he's never going to come out and throw, you know, four, five, six punch, com six punch combinations. It's going to be, you know, looking for one or two shots and trying to find the openings, constantly moving laterally, moving in and out, you know, looking to faint and then come in with that rear uppercut as the opponent tries to change levels. Jab, left hook, right uppercut. One, two, slip off and pivot off the lead leg. Jab, hook, right body kick. Two, three, right low kick. Like he's very technical and he's very sharp in terms of his striking. Barcelos is 
one of the sh sharpest strikers in MMA. I, I truly do believe that. But the only thing is his volume is what causes him to get behind on the scorecards and lose fights that he probably should be winning. There's been a couple fights where I thought maybe he got the job done and he didn't. I would say maybe against Timur Valiev, I had him up, but it was a very close fight and he lost that decision. You know, he won that fight against Saeed Nurmagomedov. He just lost against Victor Henry in his last fight, which I actually picked Henry to win there because of the lack of volume from Jaune Barcelos. But I still think that Barcelos is very, very solid. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like an early Jose Aldo in terms of his technical abilities and his speed, but the volume is what really causes him a lot of trouble. And then going up against Trevin Jones, he hasn't fought too many times inside the UFC, and he's a guy who doesn't throw a whole lot of volume either. If you look at Trevin Jones, he's not a guy that's going to come in and throw heavy, heavy combinations, but he's going to look to set you up. He's going to look to find an opening, and then he's going to look to land a shot on your chin and knock you out. He's got 13 victories, eight defeats, three wins by KO, four by submission, and six by decision. Like I said, he's not a very heavy volume striker, but he has the power to shut your lights out. You've seen it in his right hook from Southpaw. You've seen it in the right hand from Orthodox, you know, landing a right hook and then landing a right hook in Southpaw like he did against Timur Valiev where he got that win. Common opponents for both men would be Timur Valiev and Trevin Jones actually knocked him out in his UFC debut. And then Ioni Barcelos lost that fight via decision, did drop him two times at the end of the first round, but then came out and lost the next two rounds, I believe. I think that's how it was. It might have been a drop in the second round, but I believe it was the first. And, you know, Jones has power. He's technical. He can survive, man. He took a beating from Timur Valiev early in that fight with a kick to the body, you know, shots to the body over and over again. And, you know, was getting pieced up, got dropped, got back up, was able to survive, and then eventually knock out Valiev, like I said, with that right hook from Southpaw and then put him out. He's got power. He's got heavy ground and pound that, you know, that we've seen. But I think that this is a fight that's kind of tailor-made for Hione Barcelos because it's not a guy who's going to throw this heavy volume, who's going to put this heavy pressure on you. He does put pressure. You know, he will move forward and try to land his shots on you, but he's not a multiple strike combination style of fighter. He throws one, two, maybe three strikes at the most and just looks to set you up for that power shot. Um, Jones is more of a looking to set you up for power. I think that Barcelos has a lack of volume as well, but I think he's better at fighting a more pick you apart type of fight and kind of throwing one or two shots, but looking to set everything up, jab, left hook, right, low kick, one, two, lead body kick, cross lead body kick, one, two, left hook, left hook, right uppercut, you know, slip and pivot off the center line. I think that when it comes to both these guys, neither of them have a heavy volume style of attack, but if neither of them have that heavy volume, I expect the sharpness and technique of Barcelos to cause Trevin Jones a lot of problems. I think the kicking game to the inside and outside of the lead legs of Trevin Jones when he switches southpaw, I expect that right body kick to come quick and come often. And, you know, land in those combinations, even if they're not heavy, like multiple shot combos, you know, two or three punch combos and then getting out off the center line. I think Barcelos should have a pretty easy time here with Jones, but... I do not discredit the power that Jones possesses in that right hand. If he lands a straight right hand, if he lands a right hook from Orthodox, if he lands that lead right hook from Southpaw as Barcelos moves in or as he's trying to slip and move laterally, if he gets him to move into that right hook, he's got the power where I think he could hurt Barcelos and drop him, but we haven't seen Hione Barcelos finished in his career. If you look 
at his losses. He's only lost twice by decision, I believe, and once by submission. Let's see. Yeah, two decisions and one submission. He's never been finished in his career. I think Jones does have the power, but going off the fact that Barcelos hasn't been finished and it's probably going to be a slow-paced technical style of like you go, I go style of striking matchup, kind of like a tie style fight. I don't expect a ton of grappling to be showcased here, but if it does go to the ground, Barcelos is a decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist and he has such good takedown defense that it's not going to be easy to get those takedowns for Trevin Jones either. I think Jones is outmatched here. I think that Jones has more power, but I think the speed and technical ability of Hione Barcelos is just way too much for Trevin Jones. I think he's going to be able to poke him, pick him apart, jab, left hook, right, low kick, jab, left hook, right, body kick, right hand, left hook, right, body kick, jab, left hook, rear uppercut, jab, fake the level change, come up with the rear uppercut, rear uppercut, right hand, left hook, double jab, right hand, fade back, rear uppercut. Like all those combos are going to be coming at Trevin Jones, but if we get Barcelo staring in the mirror and Trevin Jones pushes him back up against the fence, lands some good combos and enable to maybe keep him up against the cage in the over-under position, then maybe it can be a close fight because the only thing that Barcelos has had trouble with is his lack of output. And I would say that that would probably be more of a concern here for me against the guy in Trevin Jones, but Jones doesn't have a lot of output either. He just looks to set up his shots. And when you're looking to set up those power shots against a guy who's going to be faster, who's going to be sharper technically, and who's going to be really good on the takedown defense and solid on striking off the break, I have to go with Barcelos here. I know he's, you know, really, really come out and lost those last two fights and fights that people believed that he was going to win. And um, I expect Barcelos to get the job done here. I think it could be a finish. He does have power, but he's not really a huge finisher. I mean, he's got eight wins out of his 16 coming by way of finish, but some of his wins in the UFC and a lot of the times he's going to decision. So I'm going to go with Hione Barcelos to defeat Trevin five-star Jones via a 29-27. No, we'll go close. 29-28 unanimous decision. I think Jones might steal one round in there, but I think it's going to be a pretty dominant performance from Barcelos here. I've always been really high on Hione, but he just has that lack of volume and lack of output has caused him a lot of trouble in his recent fights. And I think that he can definitely get the job done here, but I am a little bit worried to like say to bet heavy on Barcelos because of his lack of output at most times. But going up against a guy in Trevin Jones who doesn't have that great of output either, I don't think it's going to be as big of a concern in this fight. So I'm going to go with Hione Barcelos to defeat Trevin five-star Jones via a 29-28 unanimous decision on the judges' scorecards. If you look at the odds for this fight, you have Hione Barcelos as a minus 225 favorite, minus 210 at some places, to a minus one or a plus 190 underdog for Trevin Jones. Um, I like to bet Barcelos in this in this spot, whether it's a money line or a parlay piece. I think it's a little bit more risky to put him in a parlay just because like you never know maybe he doesn't throw that much volume but I am pretty confident in Barcelos to get the job done here so I would say if you want to put him in a parlay he's definitely worth a shot if you want to bet him straight up on the money line that's probably going to be a better option but you're getting a hefty price tag at minus 220 minus 230 in most places so maybe it's not the best fight to bet him but I do like Barcelos this weekend and um, or next weekend I should say because technically <laughs> it's Sunday today. Um, I do like Barcelos to get the job done against Trevin Jones here. So 29-28 unanimous decision for Hione Barcelos over Trevin five-star Jones. And now we're going to move to the co-main event of the evening in the UFC's welterweight division. 
You have a battle between the long, rangy, technical striker and Randy Rude Boy Brown coming into this fight off a decision victory. Excuse me. Over Chaos Williams, who comes into the fight with a record of 15 victories and four defeats, going up against the UFC veteran, longtime mixed martial artist in Francisco Masaranduba Trinaldo, who comes back with a phenomenal record in his own right at 28 victories and 18 defeats. Man, I mean, look, let's be honest here. I feel like I've counted out Francisco Trinaldo a lot in his UFC career. I think that there's been fights, especially the fight against Danny Roberts. I counted him out there. That was his last fight. He was able to win that fight by decision. There's been a lot of fights where I've counted out Trinaldo, but if you look at his recent fights, he's on a pretty good win streak here. You look at Francisco Trinaldo's last five fights. He's gone, I think, four and one in his last five. So he's gone one, two, three, four, five. He's gone five and one in his last six. His last loss came to Muslim Salikov, Salikov via unanimous decision. That was in June of 2021. And then after that, he got a decision victory over Dwight Grant and a decision victory over Danny Roberts. Before the Muslim Salikov fight, he got a knockout victory over Jai Herbert in a fight where he was getting pieced up early in that fight. And it looked like Jai Herbert was going to cruise his way to a dominant decision. And then Herbert got caught with an overhand left, you know, kind of not minding his P's and Q's, got dropped and got finished. That was the whole Herb Dean, Dan Hardy back and forth where they believed that Herb Dean should have jumped in and stopped the fight earlier. And he didn't deserve to take that ground and pound for no reason because he was basically out from that overhand left. If you don't know about that, go ahead and look that up. That's the Herb Dean and Dan Hardy, you know, issue, which kind of led to Dan Hardy getting released from the UFC. And then before that, he had a unanimous decision victory over John McDessie. And then he had a decision victory over Bobby Green. He lost to Alexander Hernandez via decision. So in his last six fights, like I said, he's got five and one. He's five and one in his last six. You look at Randy Brown, he's got a record of 15 and four. Six wins by KO, five submissions and four decisions. Pretty well-rounded all across the board. And he is four and one in his last five as well with a submission victory over Worley Elvis, a submission victory over Alex Oliveira, a decision victory over Jared Gordon, and a decision victory over Chaos Williams. His last loss came via knockout to top welterweight contender, even though he lost to Jeff Neal in Vicente, the silent assassin Luque. And look, to be honest, this is going to be another Southpaw versus Orthodox fighter. And, you know, you look overall at the, at the fight. It, it's a pretty hard matchup for Francisco Trinaldo. Trinaldo's a veteran. He's coming in, I think he's like 42 years old, something like that, somewhere around there, 41, 42. He's been around the game for a really long time. You know, experience-wise, obviously you have to give the advantage for Tonaldo. He's 28 and 8, so he's had 36 fights in professional MMA. Randy Brown's only had 19, so it's almost doubling the experience that Randy Brown has. And, you know, when you have that experience level, you have to worry about those veteran guys beating these young up-and-comers because they've seen so many different kinds of styles. They've seen so many different types of game plans. And, you know, they're not going to see anything that they haven't seen before. But you look at the fight, and Randy Brown, 
is going to have a six-inch height advantage at 6'3 to 5'9 for Francisco Trinaldo. And then when it comes to the reach, he's going to have, I believe, an eight-inch reach advantage. Yeah, 78 inches to 70 inches for Trinaldo. The game of Randy Brown is all based off of his using his length, using his reach, using those long-range attacks, the jab, the left hook, the right front kick to the body, the inside and outside low kicks, jab, left hook, right hand. The one-two, jab into the chest, coming up with the right hand to the to the jaw. Jab, left hook, right body kick. Jab, left hook, right hand, left hook, roll underneath. Keeping the opponent at range and dictating the fight with his boxing, especially that long, rangy jab, that's going to give Trinaldo a lot of problems. And I think it's going to be similar to the Danny or the Jai Herbert fight because even though they're not exactly the same, Randy Brown and Jai Herbert fight pretty similarly. I think Jai Herbert mixes it up a little bit more with his knees, kicks, and elbows. but you know, in terms of the boxing and the movement and the head movement and the jabs and everything like that, the boxing is pretty similar between Jai Herbert and Randy Brown. And I think Randy Brown's going to be able to dictate a lot of this fight by using that jab to keep Trinaldo at a distance. Keep Trinaldo honest. You know, jab left hook to get the outside foot on the southpaw, overhand right. Jab left hook, straight right hand. One, two, double jab, circle off. Jab left hook, get the outside foot, circle and pivot off. Double jab, back up, one, two, front kick to the body, push kick to the body, jab, left hook, right body kick, jab, right inside, low kick, pivot out, jab, left hook, outside, low kick to direct them into the right hand, come back with the left hook. It's going to be a lot of poke and prod. We talked about that earlier with the fight between Brendan Allen and Christoph Jacko. I think it's going to be kind of a similar game plan and a similar approach for Randy Brown, but he has such a height and reach advantage. It's going to be very hard for Trinaldo to win this fight. The only way Trinaldo wins this fight is if he kind of just finds that one shot that hurts Randy Brown, or if he's able to get in close up against the cage, tie up Randy Brown and make it a dirty, nasty fight. He has to be able to land knees, land elbows, land uppercuts in the clinch, Land the lead elbow, land the uppercut, you know, frame off the head, uppercut, shots to the body if he gets into the tie plum against Randy Brown. You know, landing knees if they get into that clinch, pulling his head down. That's where Trinaldo is going to win this fight, is by making it a dirty, you know, street fight style of affair. But it's so hard to do that against a guy in Randy Brown. And yes, Randy Brown's been knocked out before. Yes, he's been caught on the chin and been hurt. He got hurt in the fight against Chaos Williams and was able to survive. I actually picked Chaos Williams in that fight. And Randy Brown proved me wrong. His technical ability, his footwork, his head movement. You know, his head movement is really good, but he does sometimes run into power shots. And he doesn't have the best chin. I think the only thing you have to worry about for Randy Brown is, like I said, him getting caught with a shot when his head movement isn't timed right. Or he circles into a power shot. And he gets hit on the chin. Because Brown is good defensively. He's good at using his range. But if he does get caught on the chin... You know, he does have kind of a suspect chin, and I think that's something you got to worry about with a guy in Trinaldo who is a veteran and does have knockout power that we've seen showcased before. But I expect the distance game, the distance management, the one-twos, the long jabs and right hands of, of Randy Brown to kind of work magic for him throughout the entirety of this fight. I think it's going to be very hard for Trinaldo to close the distance. If he does close the distance, I think we will see some trouble for Randy Brown, but I think, you know, Randy Brown will be able to get that you know, pummeled with the underhooks and hike the wizard up on the opposite side and turn his way back to the center of the cage and work from the work from the center and have Trinaldo backing up for the entirety of the fight. It's not going to be easy for Trinaldo to get the takedowns on Randy Brown either. If you look at his overall takedown defense, Randy Brown has a 71% takedown defense rate. 
And Trinaldo only has a 43% takedown accuracy. If you look at the striking, we'll look at some a little bit by of the significant strike numbers. 4.42 significant strikes landed per minute for Brown to 3.15 for Trinaldo. And he also has a higher accuracy with a 48% significant strike accuracy rate to a 44% striking uh, significant strike accuracy rate for Francisco Trinaldo. But Brown gets hit a little bit more at 3.32 strikes absorbed per minute to 2.6 for Trinaldo. But I expect the length, the distance, the the jab, the, the right low kick, the right body kick, the front kicks up the middle, the one-two to cause a lot of trouble for Trinaldo. I don't necessarily think that Randy Brown's going to get a finish. He has finished some veterans in the past. I think it is possible that he catches them with that long one-two stumbles them and maybe locks up a submission, but I'm going to say that Trinaldo is durable enough to make this, you know, a pretty competitive fight and make it the full 15 minutes, but it's going to be a, a pretty clear decision win for Randy Brown. So I'm going to go with Randy rude boy Brown to defeat Francisco Trinaldo via 29, 28 split decision. I think it's going to be close because Trinaldo, you can't really count the dude out. Like he's beat a lot of guys that people thought he shouldn't have beat. So I think that he will make it close in certain aspects. I think maybe Brown will tire out later on in the fight and maybe in that second half of the second. And in the third, that's when Trinaldo might be able to steal around in there and make it competitive, get Brown up against the cage, catch him as he's circling, you know, tie him up, land the shots to the body, land the elbows, and make it a close competitive fight. But I do expect the distant striking and the range management of Brandy Brown to carry him to a pretty clear decision. So I'm going to go with 29-28 split decision win for Randy Rude Boy Brown. That jab, the long one too, it's going to dictate the fight. He's going to be, it's going to be too hard for Trinaldo to close the range. So yeah, final pick, Randy Brown to defeat Trinaldo via 29-28 split decision. All right, and now we move to the main event of the evening in the women's strawweight division. You have a battle between top 10 ranked contenders and the number five ranked Mackenzie Dern, who comes into the fight with a record of 12 victories and two defeats, going up against the number six ranked Jan Fury Zhaonan, who comes back with a record of 15 victories and three defeats. This is a really solid fight, and I think a lot of people might, you know, scoff at this main event and wonder why it's a main event. Why are these girls the main event? Yada, yada, yada. Um, this deserves to be a main event or a co-main event in my opinion. So I'm not mad at this booking at all. These are two of the highest level women's mixed martial artists on the planet. Two very, very talented contenders in this strawweight division. Mackenzie Dern is obviously going to be the more well-rounded and decorated grappler. Multiple time Jiu-Jitsu world champion, won multiple championships in jiu-jitsu and tournaments and stuff like that. And Zhao Nan is going to be the more effective striker. This is basically a more, I, I would say it's kind of basically striker versus grappler because we've seen Zhao Nan have a lot of trouble if she gets taken down to the mat. You look at the fight against Carla Esparza, and once Esparza was able to get those takedowns on Zhao Nan, she was able to effortlessly move into the crucifix position and just beat her to a pulp. I mean, she ripped apart Zhao Nan once it hit the mat. Now, is Mackenzie Dern the level of wrestler that McKen that uh, Carla Esparza is, the current strawweight champion, allegedly? No, I don't think, no, not at all. Like, Mackenzie Dern is not that level of wrestler. So it's going to be harder for Mackenzie to get it to the floor. But I think that Mackenzie Dern is more dangerous in terms of finishing a fight once it hits the mat. And I know Carla Esparza did finish Yan Zhao Nan from that crucifix position. She landed some vicious ground and pound, you know, and hurt her a lot when it got to the, the floor. And Zhao Nan kind of looked like a fish out of water. 
But I know Zhao Nan's been working on her takedown defense. And if you look at Mackenzie Dern in terms of her takedown accuracy, she doesn't have a high takedown accuracy. She has a 9% takedown accuracy rate. It's awful. And I'm not discounting Mackenzie Dern's ability in terms of her grappling because she's one of the most dangerous girls on the mat. It's just a lot of the times her submission success and her ability to get in top position and work to finish those fights aren't really done off of her shooting and getting these takedowns. It's off of her opponent making a mistake and Mackenzie Dern being able to reverse position or take advantage of a bad position from the opponent and then work to get the back, work to get to side control, work to knee slice through to full mount, look to transition from half guard to side control and into the full mount, looking to attack the arms, looking to work from the back. You know. If Mackenzie Dern gets on top of Yan Zhao Nan in this fight at any point and has full mount, has her in half guard, has her back, I think Mackenzie Dern can submit her. But I think if the fight stays on the feet and get and it you know takes place at a striking range, Mackenzie Dern's striking has gotten better. However, Zhao Nan is too crisp and too clean to play around with on the feet. I think that Zhao Nan's one-two, her cross into the left hook, the jab left hook right hand, the cross left hook jab, double jab right hand. The long rangey attacks and the boxing with the speed that Zhao Nan possesses, if this fight stays on the feet, Mackenzie Dern's going to get picked apart in terms of the striking. Now, Mackenzie Dern's striking has gotten better. She's got a good right hand, a good jab, a good hook, a good overhand, and she uses that overhand to try to close the distance and get those takedowns. You know, so I think her striking has a, there, there's a, a means to an end when it comes to her striking. She's using that striking 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 oh my god i can't talk she's using that striking to close the distance and get it into her world her wheelhouse which is the grappling the jujitsu the submissions that's where Mackenzie dern wants this to be but i think it's going to be hard for dern to get that distance closure on yan Zhao nan i think that she is gonna you know get caught by some jabs get caught by the one twos get caught by the left hook right hand Zhao nan is fast and she's also good at moving laterally she may back up one or two steps, and then she's moving left. She's moving right. She's cutting angles. She's jabbing. She's pivoting off the leads off the lead leg. She's moving left and right. You know, she's not an easy girl to track down and get a hold of, even if you do back her up. If you look at the fight against Mackenzie Dern, which yes, Yan Zhao Nan did lose that fight via decision. But if you look at that fight, I think a lot of people thought that Zhao Nan beat Mackenzie or uh, beat Marina Rodriguez. I think I just said Mackenzie Dern, but she fought Marina Rodriguez. They went to a decision. It was a close fight at UFC 272. But I think a lot of people believed that Yan Zhao Nan did enough to win that fight on the scorecards, but it was a close fight. She lost that fight via decision. You know, she also has that loss to Carla Esparza in the second round, got taken down, like I said, TKO from the ground and pound from the crucifix position. Before that, she had a win over Claudia Gadelia, a win over Karolina Kovalkiewicz, a win over Angela Hill. A win over Siori Kondo. I mean, her UFC wins are very like impressive overall. What the hell? Oh my God. Okay. Sorry guys. I, I apologize for that brief interruption. My computer kind of went crazy for a second, but we'll look at this fight. Like you look at Yan Zhao Nan's wins. She's got really impressive wins over Angela Hill. Let's see. Well, we'll pull it up again since everything wants to go crazy right now. 
see. All right. So 15 wins, three defeats, seven wins by KOTKO, eight by decision, no submissions, three losses, one by KOTKO, one by submission, and one by decision. The TKO was over Carla Esparza, and then she lost that split decision to Marina Rodriguez. Like I said, very close fight. You look at the fight with Mackenzie Dern. You know, she went and fought Marina Rodriguez as well, and she lost via decision. But I think the fight against Mackenzie Dern with Marina Rodriguez was a little bit more dominant. It was a unanimous decision. The fight against Yan Nan was a split decision win for Marina Rodriguez. So Marina Rodriguez has wins over both the women competing in the main event, but I definitely think that the Mackenzie Dern fight was a lot more one-sided in terms of that overall contest. I think it was pretty clear-cut that Marina Rodriguez beat her, and the Zhao Nan fight took place more on the feet, and um, it was very close, and it was a split decision. Some people believe that Yan Zhao did enough to get the win. Mackenzie Dern's last fight was a split decision win over Tisha Torres. She's got that armbar submission in the first round over Nina Nunez, a decision win over Verna Janjirboa, an armbar submission over Random Marcos, a knee bar submission over Hannah Cyphers. She lost via decision to Amanda Hivas as well, which is a, you know, at that point, it didn't look like a terrible loss. But, you know, looking at Amanda Hivas lately, she hasn't looked that great. You look at her last few fights. I mean, she's 11 and three overall. She's con she's gone one and two in her last three fights and two and two in her last four. But her wins came over the likes of Paige Van Zant and Verna Jandraboa. Uh, one was an armbar submission over Paige Van Zant, a decision win over Verna Jandraboa. She lost a split decision to Caitlin Chukagian, and then she got TKO'd by Marino Rodriguez. So Marino Rodriguez has wins over Amanda Hivas, um, Yan Zhao Nan. And Mackenzie Dern, but really this fight takes really comes down to Marina Rodder, or I'm sorry, oh my god, I can't talk. Mackenzie Dern doesn't have the best takedown ability. She's good once it gets to the floor, but it's not that easy for her to get it to the floor. Like I said, 9% takedown accuracy. But once she gets it to the mat, she's dangerous. She's one of the most dangerous girls in women's MMA and definitely the most dangerous girl in terms of her grappling and jiu-jitsu in that division. So will Yan Zhao Nan get caught off balance? Will she throw a kick and maybe miss a kick? And then Mackenzie Dern will jump on her, get in the top position, work her over, and then work for a submission or get the ground and pound. I think if the fight hits the floor, it's 100% Mackenzie Dern's fight to win. I do not think that if it hits the floor and Dern gets him into a dominant position, that Zhao Nan's going to be able to get back up to her feet. I just don't see it. But if the fight stays on the feet, I think Yan Zhao Nan's going to be able to pick her apart, be able to land those one-twos, and kind of just piece her up for the entirety of the fight. I could see Yan Zhao Nan getting a TKO, but um, I think Mackenzie Dern is durable and she probably could last for the five rounds. I think it's going to be a close fight, but here's the thing. Mackenzie Dern can hang with Yan Zhao Nan on the feet, and it probably won't be competitive, but she can hang there. Yan Zhao Nan can't hang with Mackenzie Dern on the floor, and if Mackenzie Dern gets into a dominant position, takes the back, gets into full mount, looks to lock up the arm bar, looks to lock up a knee bar, it, it's pretty much over for Yan Zhao Nan. So it's who's more dangerous if they get the fight to where they want to play it out to be at. And Mackenzie Dern is not going to win a striking fight against Yan Zhao Nan, but she can be a little bit competitive in certain aspects. Yan Zhao Nan's not going to be competitive when this fight hits the mat if Mackenzie Dern gets in the top position. Just not going to happen. So when it comes to breaking it down, I think that 
Yan Janan will have some success. I think she will piece her up at certain points, but I think there's going to come a point where Mackenzie Dern is going to slip one of those punches. You know, maybe Zhao Nan looks to defend a takedown and she throws a shot and kind of knocks herself off balance and Mackenzie Dern ends up in position. I think here's what's going to happen. Zhao Nan's going to throw a kick and kind of get knocked off balance because Dern's going to rush her. She's going to fall down like off balance, give up a position on the ground because Mackenzie Dern probably won't take her down because like I said, she doesn't have the best takedown accuracy. Probably off a missed kick, she'll, she'll fall to the floor, she'll trip. Give up a position. Mackenzie Dern will jump on it. She'll get into half guard. She'll work to get the full mount. She's so good at sliding her knee out from half guard to uh, get to side control to then work to the mount. She got the position against Nina Nunez, and the minute that fight hit the floor, it was basically over. Like, she defended for a little bit, but the fight was over. And I think it's going to be similar here. I think Shannon's going to throw a lazy kick, throw something that's going to knock her off balance and give up a dominant position for Mackenzie Dern on the floor. Mackenzie Dern is going to get that top position. She's going to get into the mount. She's going to rough her up with some ground and pound. You know, Zhao Nan's going to try to explode, and I think she's going to give up her neck, and Mackenzie Dern's going to get a rear naked choke submission victory. Now, I could easily see Zhao Nan outstriking her, piecing her up. This is a close fight, but, you know, it's just basically the grappling is too much for Yan Zhao Nan. So I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern to defeat Yan Zhao Nan. So that is going to be the number five ranked Mackenzie Dern to improve to 13 and two and defeat the number six ranked Yan Fury Zhao Nan via a third round rear naked choke submission. I don't think she'll get it done in the first. I think it'll be competitive. I think it'll be close, but she's going to give up position at one point, you know, fall off balance during a combination, stumble on the feet and, you know, give up some type of position where Mackenzie can take advantage. And once it hits the mat, it's over. Mackenzie Dern is going to submit Yan Zhao Nan. You saw her have a lot of trouble with the grappling of Carla Esparza. And although Esparza is a more decorated wrestler, Mackenzie Dern is more dangerous in terms of the jujitsu. And I think she can easily lock her up in a submission if she gets to that top position at any point. So I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern to defeat Yan Zhao Nan be a third round rear naked choke submission. All right, that's going to be it for my preview predictions and analysis for UFC Vegas 61. I'm really excited for this fight card. It's a pretty decent card with some good matchups, a good main event, and a solid main event to determine what's going to be next for that strawweight division after that terrible fight between Asparza and Namajunas that probably won't get run back. But that's going to be it for my predictions. In terms of like good picks for this weekend, um, I'll give you some. I like, let's see. I like Mike Davis over Borschev. If you're going to do like parlay or money line, I like Barcelos over uh, Trevin Jones. I do like Mackenzie Dern, but you probably want to play Mackenzie Dern by submission when that prop comes out because she is at like a minus 220 favorite right now. So I think the better play would be to play Mackenzie Dern by submission. Um, a parlay for the week in terms of like, a lock style of parlay. Let me pull it up for you because I do have a parlay in here already. A good lock parlay for the week would probably be, if it loads for me, give me a second. Man, it's not going to load, is it? Nah, it's not loading. But I like Barcelos. I like Dern. I like, I mean, let's just go over the, the the overall picks. I've got Mike Davis. I've got Howney Barcelos. I've got Randy Brown. I've got Mackenzie Dern. And I've got, 
let me see. Hold on, because I didn't put that in there yet. So my overall picks are Jocko, Mike Davis, Howney Barcelos, Randy Brown, and Mackenzie Dern. In terms of parlays, I think you wait for the prop to come out and play Mackenzie Dern by submission. I like Randy Brown um, as a parlay piece. I think he's good, but I also think it's kind of scary, so maybe you don't touch that one. If there's one fight I wouldn't touch overall on the card, it would probably be... One fight overall that I wouldn't play would probably be, I would think it'd probably be Brown over, over Trinaldo. I think he's very, it's a very confident pick for me, but I think that's a very tough matchup and maybe you don't touch that. The main event is a tough matchup. So most confident pick on the card, I would say probably is going to be Mike Davis over Vorschev. Second most confident pick would be Barcelos over Jones. Third most confident pick is Jotko over Brendan Allen. Fourth most confident pick is Randy Brown over Trinaldo. Or no, fourth most confident pick is Mackenzie Dern over Nan. And then fifth most confident would probably be Randy Brown over, over Trinaldo. Like, I think it's going to be a pretty easy fight, but it does scare me with Brown being caught on the chin a couple times. You know, it, it's kind of scary, but let me rank these a little bit better because I didn't think I was going to rank my picks from top to bottom. I like most confident Mike Davis, so he's number one. I like, ooh, I like, ooh, it's hard to rank these in terms of most confident to least confident. We'll go Mike Davis, uh, Howney Barcelos, Christoph Jaco, Mackenzie Dern, and Randy Brown. Even though a lot of these picks are confident, I worry about the chin of Randy Brown at some points, so I think that's a good way to rank them from most confident to least confident picks. But overall picks are Jocko, Mike Davis, Howney Barcelos, Randy Brown, and Mackenzie Dern. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your audio podcast. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, and many, many more. These picks will probably be uploaded to YouTube by tomorrow in individual fight predictions and breakdowns. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is the same name as the podcast at the Touch Em Up Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at ArmbarNation316, spelled exactly like it sounds. And you can follow me on Instagram at GloriousM&M. That's G-L-O-R-I-O-U-S-M-A-N-D-M. And you can follow me on any social media. You can follow me on TikTok at Touch em Up Podcast as well, where I post slight fighter breakdowns and some lists comparing best fights, best fighters, etc., etc., but I'm your host, Double M. These have been my UFC Vegas 61 Dern versus Yan predictions and analysis. And I'll see you next weekend. Enjoy the fights.